Hi, it's Thursday evening here in Baltimore, Thursday afternoon. And uh, it's a busy week because I did two uh, bios uh, because someone asked me to. But I want to get the Parsha done. I try to do it on Thursday because there are people in Israel complaining otherwise. Which is, um, anyway, I try to accommodate them. Today's uh, podcast is being sponsored by um, a friend I met once, Rabbi Mendel Druck, who is um, Rabbi Druck, who's the Chabad Shlich in Mexico, in Cancun. That's right, in Mexico. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him, ooh, I guess two years ago, probably in 2018, when I had a wedding in Florida. And he was listening at that time. Kind enough to say that, so that's around the time I started, 2018. And um, anyway, uh, and he's uh, dedicating this uh, sponsorship in honor of his brother, who's the Chabad rabbi in downtown Baltimore, Maryland, Rabbi Levi and Hani Druck of Chabad in downtown Baltimore. It says in honor of his newborn daughter, Sarah Pesha. So Rabbi Levi Druck is in the not Jewish part of Baltimore, shall we say in the uh, area near the harbor place. And uh, there's a special Chabad down there. And his brother is in Cancun. And uh, wish everyone should have a Ksibah Hazimatova and all the good mazel. So I appreciate the sponsorship, as we always do. We appreciate our sponsors. And I have one more left in my series. Today someone uh, to- undertook to do one of the lectures. So, I'm down one left, and I hope that'll be covered. I won't have to bother anybody about it anymore. I just concentrate on doing the uh, talks. Uh, and anyway, uh, this is a week before Rosh Hashanah, obviously. It's a Parshish Nitzam Bayelach. Very dramatic, always. And if you're in my business, if you're rabbi business, you can't help but think somewhat homiletical, perhaps a little philosophical, historical. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. I'll tell you what's running through my head, okay? And that is. Um, because I do these zooms, you know, so some themes come up with the, when I talk to the show. It says in this week's passion, and it's something very dramatic because of the predictions. Basically, Moses lays out the entire history before it happens. You're the survivors, meaning this is coming right after the Tochacha. So, uh, you know, you'll basically, he's saying like this everything in the Tochacha is going to happen because you will not live up to, uh, you know, what you're supposed to do. So, uh, after all, what was the reason for the terrible curse of the Tochah? Which I told you is a high calling. So, of course, the Jewish people, in the course of their history, will at one time or another not be able to say, when they act worse. And so, the Tochah is not simply a warning, but it's a prediction. It's going to happen, and of course it has happened. Meaning, we've had many examples of terrible things happening to the Jewish people, and as I said, it's almost like cyclical. I hope it's not, but it seems that way. And uh, what comes after that? That's the interesting part. Because if you just had Parshish Kisovo, and that's where Moshe closed down the shop, then it would simply be leaving with a very stern warning. But that's not what Moshe does. He continues to say um, that the Tocha will happen, and uh, it'll be very severe. And you'll be scattered to the ends of the earth. You're going to extreme exile. As I think I, I talked about last time. And um, 
and you'll hit rock bottom. Uh, the way they put it is Guffrey's from Melch's Rafa Kalarza. That sulfur and we'll, we'll cover the lands. Which, of course, can literally mean that Israel will be covered with, um, with uh, destruction. And uh, here you get into politics of Zionism. You know, was Israel a non flourishing land before the Jews showed up? We like to say that. I'm not sure it's 100% true, but nevertheless, there was plenty of wasteland in Israel when the Jewish settlers, you know, the early Zionists, whatever you call it, showed up. Um, but to me, especially this time of the year, the word Eretz and Shemayim always mean, you know, you have to take it out of literal meaning because uh, in biblical terms, Eretz and Shemayim always means the Gashmis and the Ruchni, you see. Uh, and, and that's not some Chasei Shabbat. It really does mean that. Uh, or it, it means it at some level. When it says in the beginning, it doesn't mean God created the earth and the sky, the ground I'm standing on and the sky above. It means God created metaphysical and then created physical. Now, I'm not saying the word arts always means that, but it can, and maybe it always does at some level. For example, Eretz Mitzrayim is the name of a geographical location, but in Jewish thought, and many Sfarim, and I don't mean the wild ones, you know, many Sfarim, Eretz Mitzrayim has always been a conceptual as well. Eretz Mitzrayim stands, you know, like the Ruchnius represented by Egypt, which would be something bad, to use the language which is popular, Memtesh Haritumah, you know, or actually, Chamishim Haritumah, the Jews descended, according to that story, to 49, but it was 50. So Eretz Mitzrayim would be a bad Ruchnius place, place in which there's a concentration of bad Ruchnius. Something along those lines. Do I know what I'm talking about? Nobody is exactly what we mean, but, we, but that doesn't mean you have a general idea. So, similarly, when it says over here, you'll be scattered into the earth, or this, or the, or Melch, Shreifa, Kalarza, the physical will be destroyed. The, the matzah, it just strikes me, that's all I ever share over here, but it hits me. When you see the matzah of Klai throw, when it's in a bad shape, and Jewish people around the world pretty much are in bad shape a lot of places. At least if you go by um, the regular rules of the basic mitzvahs and mar- intermarriage and things like that, you can look around and say, God for some else, the whole Gashmi, so the Jewish people, is in, covered in the dirt, meaning in, the, in destructive elements. Now, that's not the end of the story, however. Then comes the very interesting part, the famous chapter 30 in Deuteronomy, where it says, but Moshe goes on to say, when all this hits you, you get the bracha on the claw, meaning you get the telchacha. The bracha is when times are good in Eretz Yisrael, baruch atabuvecha, baruch atabuvecha, but the claw is ara atabuvecha, ara atabuvecha. So he says, So when you hit rock bottom, as I understand it, then there'll be a turnaround. Then Moses says his famous prediction, or at least it can be read as a famous prediction. You'll start to rethink when you're in the midst of all the Goyim, where God will have scattered you. I'll return to the Lord. It's funny, it says, I think this chapter 30 in Dvarim really uh, repay, re, re, um, repays very close study 
Uh, I don't have the time either, but I should. It's a you, you, it, it could do a lot with this. Um, so then you'll turn around and do chubi, start to listen to what God says. That's a heck of a statement. You'll hit the madrig of a chol of avcha bechol nashcha. I mean, that's pretty good. You say it every day is an ideal. Who does it bechol of avcha bechol nashcha? That's that's quite a statement. That's like mesil sisharm. You know, That's a madrega. Okay, if it's not rhetoric, then it's a madrega. And then when you do this, so there'll be a complete rechanging of thinking, right? And uh, the Jewish people get an oil change. You know, the real change of thinking. And then God will take your exile back home to Israel. show you mercy. And he'll gather you in back to Israel from all the nations where you were. So the Tochach is actually followed by happy ending, which is very similar to many of the Messianic predictions that you find among the prophets and in Daniel, in which there'll be a gogo mogo, it'll be something terrible, something equivalent to a cataclysm, a Tochachah, and most will be killed or stuff like that. But then, these survivors who are hit rock bottom will have it good. Then, then once the Tochach is over, then there will be a return to God, and a return, therefore, God will return you to Israel. Even if you're scattered, you're exiled, or but the answer to Shemayim, God will take you back to Israel. He'll give you prosperity. And the culmination is, a Ruchniyistic one, Umol Hashem Zarecha, that's the famous pasuk they always connect the Elul with. God will circumcise the foreskin of the heart and your kids. That's just interesting also that the pasuk goes to say to kids, it won't be a one-generation phenomenon. Now you find a lot of times, a lot of times, somebody personally becomes a Baal Teshua, meaning he or she themselves have something in life that makes them genuinely reach out to God. That doesn't mean that the kids are. It's, in fact, if the kids are already older, they get angry. Like, you know, how come you tried to, decided to change in the middle of life? But here will be uh, you and your children. So you see that it took, uh, what's the right word? Um, divine intervention to get to that dvekas. I said a minute ago, I'm betcha many people listening to this, especially the self righteous. We're going to say, what's he talking about? I love God with full heart and for soul, and this and that and the other, you know. Achas uh, is supposed to be defined that way. Yeah, but you see the Pussy's telling you that's baloney. You only get it after umol Hashem That's interesting. Right? I told you, this parasha requires close study, in my opinion. It will take a, a divine action to make you hit this Dvekas uh, mode. Matter of fact, the I'm not the Masilis what's his name, but Benny Yonah, you know, uh, Shari Chuba, right? <laughs> I ran into a Rebbe somewhere the other day, and he said, oh, I'm teaching my class something to Rebbe Yonah in high school. I said, if it's a high school, you better explain to these guys that Rebbe Yonah is not identical with the guy that was swallowed by the whale, because <laughs> kids don't know. But in the Shari Chuba, I remember like on the first page or the second page, it says that one day, 
God will endow you miraculously with the ability to have dvekas when you when your teva doesn't when you're not built that way. In other words, some people are born spiritually, but others are not. Some people have the gift. I'm serious, of you know of ruchnius. It, it, it's not hard for them, and other people are not. That's not really who they are. It's not because they're lazy or because they're this and the other. It's not who they are. As the Ravina Yonah puts it, kasher in yad tiva masegas. I think that's the words. Which means they really aren't like that. They can't do b'chol b'chol nashcha. But a time will come when miraculous God will change the metzias of the person, and mol Hashem zavolah directly remove the force in the heart. That's the expression. The impediments that are there, the mental impediments, which are real, right? They're not fake. And then you'll hit the madrega b'chol b'chol nashcha. In other words, these seemingly rhetorical verses are not at all. And finally, uh, <laughs> this is now you know this a Middle Eastern text. Things aren't perfect until <laughs> until all the tocha will hit the goyim, the Arabs, whoever it is that's attacking you. You know, so otherwise not good. It's not good enough <laughs> for me to prosper. The guy next door has to suffer. <laughs> uh, you know that famous part from Hunan ben Ishak. Um, I'm sure I've said it before. It's very well known. It was shot in the Middle East. The guy wrote this in the ninth century. It was translated into Hebrew, too. Mishal HaKadmonim, uh, I think it's called. And uh, an angel comes to a person and he says like this. I, <laughs> it's a Middle Eastern text. I'll give you whatever you want, but your neighbor has to get double. So a guy with a sense would say, yes, give me 10 billion. What do I care if the other guy next door gets 20 billion? I got my 10 billion. <laughs> what, what's wrong with that? I could live on 10 billion bucks. But since the Middle East, the guy responds to the angel, knock out one of my eyes. <laughs> so my neighbor will completely blind. It's got to be, we get all the brachas and they get all the claws. Then the world is perfect. Because we want justice. We want revenge for what was done to us. Okay. Now let's look at this. At least to me. The key, a funny part, if you take this all seriously, is, and I made this point the other day, the language goes like this, Somewhere, in the, when you're in the depths of Golas, physically and mentally, you'll start to rethink and become a process of Teshuvah. But actually, you know Hebrew like I do. It doesn't say Vishafta Hashem Lakacho. Later in the next passage it does. But first it's preceded. The first stage of this, this is a prediction. This is a prophecy. You know what I'm saying? It's a nevuah. It's a prediction. And he's trying to lay out what's going to happen. But it's very complex. It's not simplistic at all. At least not to my reading. What is it? How do you translate the words? You can't. You can't. I mean, honestly, you have to hashivosa elovecha. What does that mean? You know, if you say it like this, uh, we say it in Olenu every day, right? Uh, what does the words mean? And even to translate the words, it doesn't work in English. 
hashivos is what you call a transitive verb. Lahashiv uh, is hifil, to returning something. Not that I'm returning, you know, it could be transitive, intransitive verb, you know what I mean? If I say shavti ad Hashem, that means I'm returning, me, myself, and I. That's just, I'm doing it. But I'm not doing something else. But lahashiv, right? Hashivos elavecha, you're returning to your heart. No, you're returning something to your heart, but don't say what the, what the object is. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You know of enough Hebrew to make sense what I'm saying over here, right? What does it mean, hashivos elavecha? Hashivos what elavecha? It's very strange. Now, if I were a Bible critic, I'd say, Hashivosi Elovecha. Then you could say, I, God, will return something to your heart. Nope, well, maybe that's something like that. But it doesn't say that. Tell Hashivosi Elovecha, you're going to do it. Now, why does the Torah use that very, very strange language? It's clear this is not a simplistic business. It's clear, at least it seems, nothing's clear, but it seems to me that. The prediction goes that you'll be one day hit, like I said before, hitting rock bottom, very far removed from any Yishkite, very far removed from any idea of spirituality whatsoever, and then something will change. But what that's like is hard to understand, hard to, to, to lay out. Is it that you'll challenge the materialism? Is it that you'll challenge you know, the being in another religion? Is it that you'll challenge you know, the seeming injustice of the world? I don't know. But the process will begin with you you're returning something to your heart. It's uh, I don't I, I looked very briefly through the before I didn't see anybody address it. Maybe I skipped it, but I didn't see anybody address this. How do you translate Now everybody said like this. You know, I cap you know, say you'll you'll reflect, you'll start. I agree. Obviously, that seems to be what the verse denotes, you know? Uh, it's some kind of reflection, but it's not what it says. And the reason Ari Kaplan and others say you'll reflect, you reconsider, is that's the best we can come up with. But it's it's not adequate because the Torah is not haphazard. That's not how we look at it. And especially something over here where it's predictive of something of the most immense importance for the future. This is not a prophecy. It's a prophecy. It's a biggie. Uh, this is the beginning of the Gula. At least that's the classic way of understanding this, the beginning of the Gula. The Rambam in Hilchus Chuba, if you remember, this is the time of the year everybody should whip out the Hilchus Chuba and go through that. There's like a basic text for this time of the year, along with the Shari Chuba and these other things, you know, Psalm 51. And the Rambam in chapter 7, I have it highlighted, I opened my Rambam just now, before I started talking, and I see a highlight in, already in the past, where in chapter 7, the Rambam says, and he's correct, of course, call Hanavim He's giving a panegyric about repentance, and all the prophets spoke of repentance. And the ghoul will only come when there's repentance. Which is, by the way, interesting. Um, I'll say it again. The ghoul will only come when the Jews repent. So then, when the Rambam says, That's rhetoric. It's not exactly true. You don't expect the Mashiach to come in a minute. If it's going to have to be preceded by Teshuvah, I'll be Matarz Dibure. When he says, I'm saying, that the beginning of the Messianic process can come any minute. You get what I'm saying? I'm, I'm praying, if you follow the Maimonidean system, I'm praying, I'm hoping, I'm believing 
that now, it's uh, 5.30 in Baltimore, at 5.30 or so in Baltimore, will commence this Hashibos Olavecha, a, a mass movement among the Jewish people, or the beginnings of the beginnings of the beginnings of a reconsideration of the Jewish condition on the part of Jewish people, which will eventually be characterized by Teshuvah, which will then lead to Gula. No, that'll, that'll begin the process of Eliyahu Navi and Mashiach and all that. Now, I don't know. Nobody knows. The Rambam himself says nobody knows. And the Mishnah Torah says you only know when it happens. You know, I get that. But I'm just telling you that read the words in the Hilchus Shuvah that I just said. And this is Rosh Hashanah, so it's all appropriate. And it's Parshish Nitzavim, so it's double appropriate. And the language the Rambam says is, listen very closely, based on what I just told you, in Perk Shvi, in Hilchus Shuvah, call on Nevi'im, kulam tzival Shuvah, Ain Yisrael nigolim el b'tshuva. The, the, the Jewish people will only be redeemed after, you know, after they repented. Ukvar hifticha Torah shesof Yisrael lasos tshuva sof galus. And the Torah promises, meaning our portion in the Tzav, in this speech that I'm referring to, right? The Torah promises that uh, at the end shesof Yisrael lasos tshuva sof galusun that there will be Jews being galus, and at the end of the galus. There will be a mass movement of teshuva, umiyad hey nigalin. That will trigger an immediate um, gula. Which, by the way, it's just interesting that the Rambam reads it away. You could read it other ways, but you hear what I'm saying? In other words, for this Shabbos, whip out your Mishnah Torah, Hilchus Teshuva, chapter seven, paragraph five, and compare it when you read the parsha of Nitzavim, and he's going to understand literally that. And then what will happen? Uh, what do you call it? The Rambam said, So it means the Jewish people will just spontaneously, or I don't know what, um, repent. They'll start to feel they want to you know, come back to God, whatever that means. And then immediately, and then God will trigger the process which will lead all the people to go to back to him and to Israel and trigger this whole process which he describes Kibetzchem and Kolamim and Yedah B'chetzeh Shamayim Evi Yachashem B'chetzeh Yashu B'chetzeh Yishto Be'etiv V'hirbo V'secho Omol Shem Zlobach V'zavazarecho and so on and so forth. So, it'll be a, a, it, it, at least the way he's describing it is a, a fairly quick and sudden process. And he quotes over here the verse that I just said. So, I repeat. So when the Rambam says that I believe the Mashiach will come in any second, it doesn't actually mean that. Because Mashiach can't come now because the Tshuva hasn't happened. Now, by the way, there are other ways of understanding the Messianic process and not everybody would do what the Rambam said. But if you go like the Rambam, which many do because he's the easiest to understand usually, and most people don't read these rather obscure descriptions of the Messianic Theory, like you find in Sadiqon, for example, in Minas Medeus, and in uh, some other works, you know, you, there are books that describe different variations of what they imagined, what they uh, planned the messianic process to be. There are a number of different ones, but the most famous, I think, we all know, is the Rambam in the in the Mishnah Torah, and we all say we're supposed to say Dani Mamans and so forth and so forth. And uh, that's, there you have it. He says, "Avu be'etchis me in kol zehachaki yobachon yom shavu." Right? So Ramka, you can come a- any day. 
So what you really mean is that the, the process of the teshuva will commence, which will culminate, you know. So I don't know if it'll happen at 5.30, like I say, on this Thursday evening, but there could start something out there that right now, possibly, possibly, that could make all Jews or a majority of Jews start to say, hey, what's going on over here, you know. And they were, doing, were going the wrong derech. Yeah, something along those lines. But these are issues of fundamental importance to the Jewish people. That's the point. I'm, that's why I'm making a big deal out of this today. It just interests me. And as I said before, it is preceded by this enigmatic phrase, Hashivos right? Um Now, as I said before in the Olenu Pasuk, which is elsewhere, it's the Yadatim of Hashivos that clearly is delineated two types of knowledge, or maybe maybe the right word is conviction. I'm not sure, because I'm dealing with a subject nobody knows what they're talking about, because we haven't experienced it. But, as I mentioned yesterday elsewhere, the problem in the modern era is that to us today, the word Yodea, if you're an intelligent person, uh, is confined to science. Um, the last 200 years, they evolved the scientific methodology and only that which can be empirically verified and, you know, and repeated in laboratory conditions, etc., 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 that's called no. You know, you have to back it up with a raya. You understand? You have to back it up with a raya. And if you can, then don't say no. You can say believe, if that's what you want. Someone can believe in anything. Someone can believe in tooth fairy. They can believe whatever they want. But no, Yadia isn't there. And yet the Pusik doesn't say, it's two qualities. The which once again can't be translated there either because it doesn't say what your mashiv. Unless I'm skipping, I'm missing something, but I can't think of it as I'm sitting here. And so we see over here, uh, what's the right word? You know, a, a certain um, uh, hidden thing, you know, enigma, whatever. We're trying to understand what would be the characteristic character of this uh, policy. Now, the problem, of course, is that when it re- in related to God, there's different types of relationship knowledge. Is that the right word? Um, Yadata, as they say, is hard to apply if you're, if you're talking in scientific terms because God's invisible, so to speak. You know, you can't use science to find God uh, to, in the level of no because if, if you're doing by the science method and yet the believer is supposed to be more than just say I believe and so what is it you try to get yourself convicted you know inner conviction is that the right word I don't know I'm speculating like I said but it, and by the way this is the most interesting thing in the world to speculate about in my opinion, the week before Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> because here, you're about to engage in davening. You know and I know, Rosh Hashanah, the davening, is not about Yom Adin, uh, almost completely not. Uh, it's all about Hamlachas uh, Hamelech. Isn't that right? Uh, if you're Ashkenaz, you got the Nisana Togev. If you're Swiding, you don't even have the Nisana Togev. <laughs> now, you have a little bit. It's a Hayom Tchilas Masecha, Eze Becher, Eze Rov. I mean, you have a little of that. But, Overall, the davening is not at all focusing on the Yom Adin. The davening is all fo- fo- focusing on the Malchus Shemayim. And what do those words mean? 
And what I'm discussing today has to go with the very definition of the word Malchus Shemayim. What do you mean when you use these terms? If they're not, if they're just over rhetorical. Or better yet, how do I know God is a king? Literally, how do you know? Now if you say you just say it over and over and over again, is that what Hashem Levech is? You keep talking yourself into it until you sort of like brainwash yourself? Is that what Hashem Levech is? I don't think so. Uh, maybe it is. It's not Mesiyash of Allah, at least not to me. So I'm raising, perhaps I shouldn't do it. You're raising a question that you don't have a good answer for, but sometimes those are the best questions. And I'll tell you where, where I'm going with this. Everything I'm discussing right now is against a simplistic notion of the definition of God. Against a simplistic notion. Uh, although, by definition, you can't know what God is because, as I always say, anything that's created is created by God. He can't be identical with it. You can't describe him in any way. You can't say God is good and strong or any of that stuff or wise because he created those terms. And yet, that's the conundrum. But you're supposed to try to figure out what God is. So, that's what we're doing over here at this moment. I'll tell you why I'm speaking this rambling fashion. Uh, a little while ago this morning, I just was uh, running through the Shulchan Aruch on the Rosh Hashanah laws. Just in Mechav I have a nice little copy of Shulchan Aruch, just in Mechav And um, I did the Chayyam last week. That's what I do, anyway. And it just caught my eye, maybe after reading Parshish Nitzavim, something very interesting to me, which ordinarily I wouldn't give any interest to, and that's the chapter in the Shulchan Aruch, which talks about in the brachas, Atkiyas Makbazu Azub, in Tafkov Tzadi Gimel, which they say it's a din of the Gemara, which is, the brachas shal Rosh Hashanah, Makbazu Azub, Shimeni Yudeh Kulm Yomar Mashi Mehen, which is just very interesting. At least for the first time, I paid attention to it this year, and gave a little thought to it. Not a lot. And why is it, if I don't know the Malchus of the and Shepherds, I shouldn't do any of them? Why can't I just do the Malchus if that's all I know? Or the Shepherds if that's the best I can do? Well, you know, why not? Right? And this is interesting. And it struck me, uh, just before I sat down here, that the Malchus of the are three different ways of relating to God, aren't they? Malchus says, you know, the Melech part, Tamachun Aleichem. Zichronus is, uh, can be understood in different ways. It's God remembering us and us remembering God. Listen, I'm a historian. So Zichronus is, you relate to God through history. Um, that's one of the fundamental ways we do. All of our davening is organized around the history. Ezra, Zabasena, Tamiyo, I mean, all that stuff is organized around the history. And uh, chauffeurs, right? Which of course is a Maimon Sinai type thing, and it's a so the chauffeur, at least to my mind, uh, foregrounds the uh, paradoxical nature of the attempt to get some kind of clarity when I talk about because what does the chauffeur um, remind you of when when you see in the davening of Rosh Hashanah? What is the chauffeur? Ata Niglesa Bana and Kodecha, something like that. It's the original chauffeur that was sent in Harsinai. Right? But there was no chauffeur at Harsinai. Am I right or am I wrong? There was no chauffeur at Harsinai. God is not a person to have a chauffeur. It was a coal chauffeur. Right? Coal chauffeur, Holich Vichazek. It's very interesting. It's a coal chauffeur. But coal chauffeur is not a chauffeur. So you had 
an absence of a physical shofar, but you had the sound of a shofar. Who created that sound? God created the sound. Was God blowing on a shofar? No, God's not blowing on a shofar. So what do you, you have a cold shofar. So that's a certain paradox. You know what I'm saying? There was a created a sound at Mount Sinai to provide an audio link, I guess, with God, but it's not really the regular kind of audio because a cold shofar comes from, I'm not an audiologist or anything like that, far from it, but from blowing a horn which sends off these waves and all that kind of stuff. When there's no horn, then it's a different Macias, isn't that right? It's a different Macias. And so you're talking about what is experienced by us as a physical phenomenon, but isn't a regular physical phenomenon. It's a third way of trying to get at the uh, question of how do you relate to God? What is God? What does it mean, Melch, 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 and all that? And it's very interesting that these are three distinct ways, the Melchies, the Chorus, and the Shofars. They're not identical at all. And it just struck me that when you say, you have to say all three of them, it's to quite emphasize that none of them works on its own. And therefore, all three don't even work. I don't understand what Hashem is if I do Malchus and Zikronus and Shofras. The very fact that they're all different makes me say, don't even try to figure out the totality of it because I'm not going to be able to. But if I said, if I do the one, I could do the other, I might end up just doing Rosh Hashanah Malchus. And then I say, well, I know Hashem is a Melech. God's not a Melech. He's a Melech. You know, no, it's not like a king on the earth. God's not a Melech. It's one of the ways of relating to him. Okay. You understand? Or if it was Zichronus, it would just relate to him that way. Or with Shofras, you just relate to him that way. When you have all three, then you realize that he's not the product of three, but each one is different than the other, and, and that sort of teaches you to um, frustrate the idea, deliberately, to frustrate the idea of trying to figure out what he is. That's what's running through my mind. But in either way, I leave you with this trick of Hashibos Olavecha. And the reason I mentioned all this about the shofar that I just said was, we're dealing with something we don't know what it means. And I think it won't become clear until it's clear. And Moshe Rabbeinu, 3,000 years ago, was throwing this out. And he knows Hebrew like anybody knows Hebrew. And so if he's saying Hashibos Olavecha, Bechol Agoyim, he's referring to a phenomenon that I don't think the people had experienced yet, and to this day, I don't think we have experienced, because we don't know what Hashiva Salavecha means. Now, the trick with trying to figure out enigmatic phrases in the text of the Tanakh is, and I've said this before, you're always time-bound. I'm living year 2020. I don't know what Hashiva Salavecha means. Do I therefore say, since it can't mean you return something, I don't see what Elavecha so I, I spin it and give it some kind of interpretation, like it's a reflection, or conviction, or something like that. Uh, but that just means that that's what my knowledge in the year 2020 yields me. There's always the problem with the rationalistic interpretation of Scripture. It's you're always time-bound to what makes sense, what's conceivable in the year 2020. Um, I can think, as Rashi could not think, in terms of sound waves and uh, cell phones and things like that, and maybe I could try to relate that to the Parsha because it wasn't that technology at that time. But that doesn't help me. I'm just mentioning that because my great-grandchildren or before that will, will, be, will learn and be in a world, if it doesn't blow itself up, of brand new knowledge and technologies and all that, in which maybe the words 
will 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 um, have a meaning. You understand? So there are bits and pieces in the Chumash, I think. I think the Ramban says this somewhere in the intro. Pieces of Chumash that only over the course of time will you understand what it means, right? And even then, if it's a, a timeless document, it's an infinite document. If it's a, if it's a timeless. I hope I didn't lose this. Time is an infinite document. Um, then, uh, you know, even then you won't know. This is the meaning of the mystical approach to the Chumash. The, the Ramban is talking about always. Which is, it's a layer upon a layer upon a layer. Because as the human race goes on, knowledge expands, knowledge changes. And then you have different insights how to read the text of the Chumash. Here we have a prediction what will happen before the final Geula. So, here we have, I think they call it a terminus aquem, which means you have a final date. This pusik is going to be manifest when the gula hits. So maybe not before. Uh, if the gula happens tomorrow or this week, then it'll be preceded by something called Ashivasalbecha, and then we'll know what it means. But other than that, I don't think you'll know what it means. At least not to my mind. Smarter people than me can figure it out. I'm serious. I'm not being super silly. That to my mind, I'm just not sure. You understand? Now, uh, it'll be a time of great changes, as I said before. You know, mola shems people's human knowledge, um, uh, human um, nature will change. Uh, we are very far from that. Okay, we are very far from that. But uh, he's he's dealing with something that's remarkable. Now, Moshe Rabbein is well aware of this, and that's why he, right after this, he says, "Hamitzvahzos lo neflasi mincha." Because what he described is very difficult to understand. And it sounds like one may say it's impossible. And that's why he gives this rhetorical, famous um, uh, speech where he says, You know, notice it's something internal. Well, obviously, has to be something internal. But we don't know or at least better yet, I don't know what it means. So, I leave you this Shabbos, looking at this passage, chapter 30, Per Gimel, uh, I'm sorry, Per Glamen. I know the chapters aren't really, aren't really Jewish, but it's it's uh, useful uh, for us today. Uh, by the way, I was in Lakewood last week, it was the last Shabbos, two Shabbos ago, my daughters, and I brought for reading material the Mark Shapiro book on the censorship, I forgot what it's called. I have it, I didn't look at it closely, I read a few pages, and if I remember correctly, there were some famous rabbis in Eastern Europe, like Hungary or whatever. They did not, they surprised me, big rub on him. And they were not aware that the prokim in the Chumash are of a Christian uh, creation, you know, from Jerome's time, from the Vulgate. I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, in the 19th century. But be that as it may, uh, you, you take a look at this uh, Nitzavim thing. And uh, the predictions there are, are very striking. Very striking. And as I said before, the Rambam certainly understands this to be a historical prediction. Now, if you look in the Nachshoni book, which I haven't done in a long time, you'll see that there's a Ramban or something like that. And he said, this is not a predictive, it's rather, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a halacha. If I remember correctly, the Ramban learns Bishafta Hashem Alkech and all that to be a mitzvah. Uh, this is already a Lomdusha thing, which we don't have to get into. 
many of you have been in yeshivas, you'll, you'll remember, you know, it's a question of, but it, it, it's, it's not the time for this. Is tshuva mitzvah, or is it just an opportunity? You know, a chiyuv is kiyumis, all that sort of thing. But I'm not interested in that right now. I'm interested in the, in the one which says this is going to happen. That's the key to the geula. And, and how does that work? How does that work? Today, in year 2020, in September, do I really think that something's going to happen in the next 24 hours? That all these non-from Jews, and I'm being nice, I won't go into the faults of the from Jews. All these non-from Jews are always going to say, I better start keeping Shabbos and try to get a kesha with their bone shalom and so on and so forth. Is it really going to happen? Uh, you can say piously, we hope so. But do you, how, how do you see that unfolding? I think that uh, there's obviously something mental or emotional involved over there. Hashivos sounds like some kind of emotional, um, what's the right word, conviction. Now, by the way, it is possible to have a knowledge, but it's not called scientific knowledge. It's a highly subjective knowledge. A knowledge in which you are absolutely convinced that something's there. Uh, you understand? Uh, imagine... I hear somebody come and tell me a story. I know that person, therefore I'm convinced it's true. I, I don't know it's true. I didn't see the crime happen. I didn't see the thingy report happen. But I know who you are, and I'm convinced it's true. Is that what Hashibah Solovecha means? I don't know. Anyway, I just thought that these are very interesting uh, issues, particularly on the week before Rosh Hashanah. And I think you could have nice discussion at your Shabbos table if you have people who are knowledgeable a little bit in Hebrew language, how do you translate you will uh, return something, uh, to something, I don't know what, uh, why doesn't it just say uh, or something along those lines? Maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think so. Anyway, have a good Shabbos.